Kaczynski and welcome to the Syria Security Seminar here at Purdue University. Today is my great pleasure to introduce uh, to you Marina Blanton. Marina is one, our, one of our best students, so uh, I'm really happy to uh, have her today in the seminar. And she's going to present uh, one of uh, her recent papers in CCS last year. It's called Dynamic and Efficient Key Management for Access Hierarchies. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, and as Christina mentioned, I'm going to talk today about key, uh, key management in access hierarchies. And this is a joint work with uh, Mike Atala and Keith Rickin, all from Purdue. And uh, as she said, it, the core of this work, the core of what I'm going to talk about, appeared at CCS. And now we have um, some extensions. <clears throat> So the outline is very basic, it's very standard. I'm gonna introduce the problem first, uh, then uh, describe our base scheme, provide some extensions to it. Uh, they talk about slightly different models and efficiency improvements, and then conclude this talk. So here, the basic scheme, the basic model that we're considering is there is a hierarchy of partially ordered classes. And those classes can be viewed as user classes. And uh, for those you who are not really familiar familiar with you know graph theory, you might you know not necessarily know what partially order you know classes mean, but it is just uh, you can look at it as a hierarchy of classes. So what we have uh, that um, user classes are organized in a hierarchy, and uh, we can model this as a directed graph. And each node in this graph is going to correspond to a, a class of users. And so for, for, for each class, of, for each node in the graph, we have a number of objects associated with this class. Um, and, but it's not that everyone at a certain access class gets access to those objects. But if, I'm, if I belong to a certain class, I get access to objects at that particular class and everything below in the hierarchy. All objects that are stored are descending classes in that hierarchy. So this is the basic model that we're going to work with. And this is some example of um, a, a hierarchy. In, in, in the graph that you see uh, on the screen, there are uh, square boxes or classes, and you see there are seven of them. And circles are objects, and, um, and they're a disjoint set of objects, and it could be zero or more objects at a particular class. And the edges in the graph will show relationship uh, between different classes. And so as you can see on the picture, for example, someone who belongs to class C2 will have access only to two classes uh, at that level. Someone who belongs to class C1 will be able to have access to every single object. Uh, so this is the privileges are inherited uh, like every every class inherits privileges of the descendant classes in the hierarchy, and so you might ask, why would we care about you know such graphs and such hierarchies of users? But actually, hierarchies are pretty uh, wide uh, used in in many completely different domains. In one of the uh, probably well known in very um, heavily studied domains where we have hierarchies are back models. And in such models, users are naturally organized 
other model as roles which are naturally organized into a hierarchy. And, and um, as you might know, for example, if this is for a hospital, then doc doctor will have privileges the same as the nurse, nurse has, and in addition to that, will have additional uh, extra privileges. This is also useful in the um, context of um, pay TV, like, like cable TV and content distribution, where, for example, there could be different packages, subscription packages. So, for example, I can subscribe to a silver package, or if I subscribe to gold, I get everything that silver, silver can offer, plus additional programs to that. Um, and um, another example of where such hierarchies are useful is project development, uh, because when, they, when there are different views during project development, for example, if a developer, I get uh, to see just my part, all the objects and ever flow that is associated with my work, but if I'm a manager, I want to be able to get access to everything that my uh, uh, developers work on. And so um, this is just um, the, the model, the, how this hierarchy works. But what we want to do in our case, it's not that I go when I want to access certain object. I, I want, I, I'm not going to go and ask to uh, authorize me based on that, um, based on my credentials. But instead, everything is already available. All objects are already early available somewhere, but they're all encrypted. And so this problem is then that I received a key or a set of keys that will allow me to get access only to those objects which I'm entitled to see. And um, this is, is not you know, interactive authentication. It's basically I'm on my own, I already own my credentials, and I'll, I'm, I'm able to derive everything that I, that I, all keys that I need to derive to encrypt those objects that I'm entitled to see. And so this is called, and this we call this is independent key derivation because um, it doesn't, um, you don't need any third party or any server to be able to enforce these policies. And this is similar, it doesn't imply, you know, any sort of interaction or online system, it can be even your local storage when you get a CD that encrypt certain files or you know movies or whatever documents that you might want to have, and then your your uh, user obtains keys that will allow to decrypt only those objects that were included in the subscription. And so, how this um, system key assignment management um, systems work? Usually, we get. Um, a number of things, um, how to evaluate them, how do you, how, so to make sure that our scheme is efficient and is gonna provide good performance. And um, now here I list a number of cr uh, criteria how to evaluate such a system. So the first one is a number of keys per access class, and those are secret keys. So it's gonna be private storage for a user. And it's obvious that you don't want every user to store a huge amount of data. And in, in many cases, the client can be very weak, like a smart card. Uh, and then in that case, you want to minimize the amount of uh, storage that every user has. And then uh, the second one is server storage space. 
you know, which is a public information associated with the hierarchy. And so um, why we need this information uh, in certain schemes, this will, this will allow us to provide a more efficient performance if we store some additional information that is associated with the graph. For example, if we store even if we store just the data structure, the uh, graph of access classes, this might be very helpful to people who want to derive their keys. Um, and next property is low key derivation time, meaning that um, if I belong to a certain class and I want to get access to a different class in the hierarchy, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't have to spend a lot of time trying to get the key that I, to my decryption key so that I can get access to the object. So this is um, one of the performance uh, criteria that also look at. Um, and next um, property is collusion resilience of the scheme. And what I mean by collusion resilience is, for example, I have access to a certain class and my friend has access to a different class and it sh should not be possible for us to combine our keys in such a way so that we get access to something else that uh, we couldn't get individually. So it should be uh, resilient against collusions of you know number of parties. Or even if I get two different keys on my own, I shouldn't be able to get access to anything else that what I'm already can access legitimately. Um, and uh, the last property that we want to have in a such a scheme is uh, that all changes to hierarchy are locally contained in the graph. And what I mean by, by this is uh, throughout the operation of the system, when after it's deployed, there will be changes to the hierarchy. When we want to add a user class or want to restructure or maybe do something else that we need to do. And um, if just one portion of the graph changes, you don't want to affect everyone in the system. You don't want to have to go, oh, I'm sorry, we have to change all secret keys right now because we need to introduce some changes. And so it's important that all changes in the graph are locally contained. They don't propagate, they don't affect everyone else. And so the question here is how actually, how many keys do we want, do we have to have per user class uh, to be able to implement to be able to uh, do all of these properties. So when we just started working on this uh, problem, we considered different different um, graph, graphs of different structure, different properties. And say, for example, for a tree, it's obvious that a tree can be represented by, um, it can be totally represented by its pre-order uh, pre and post-order, all nodes. And, and for trees, two keys are gonna be enough in any case. But later on, if you look at more complicated graphs, it's not really clear how many keys you, you need to have. Um, but then it occurred to us that if you just, with just a little bit of public information, you, you'll be able to do this with just a single key. And it's like, wow, this is just such great result. I mean, it looks like they, you need only one key to be able to do anything for any arbitrary graph. Uh, in actually our scheme, it's, it works for any type of graph, even for graphs that have cycles. And it's not that such graphs with cycles are useful in, you know, in any real life application, but it's not, you know, the, the scheme is not limited uh, to any particular structure. Um, and, um, and here, this is in a nutshell, the properties that we have.
as already said, we have just one key per access class. The public storage space is optimal. And what we, what we mean by this is that you still have to store the access graph, the access hierarchy. But we also store our public information, it's, and it's asymptotically the same as information needed to store the graph. So it's just a small constant that we introduce. Uh, all key derivation is based only on hash function, hash functions. So this is very fast. There is no um, expensive cryptography, just uh, hash functions. And um, all changes are locally contained. Uh, and security is, uh, we have provable, provable security against uh, collusions. And we show that any adversary who can corrupt any number of nodes in the graph won't be able to achieve anything else that those corrupted users can already you know, achieve. In previous results had some of this property, but it was the first one to uh, combine all of this together, to have all of them at the same time. So this is a little bit you know, more uh, specific program description. And uh, here you can see that uh, we model this graph, uh, this is a directed access graph, which we call G. And all nodes that correspond to user classes are numbered um, as V1 through Vn. So there are going to be n uh, classes in the hierarchy. And each node has a set of objects associated with this class, and there are all disjoint sets. And edges are inserted into this data structure according to the uh, relationship between those classes. And they're all, uh, we'll just call those edges E1 through EM. And, uh, when we, and since we need this property so that everyone at a certain class should be able to have access to descending classes, so if we have an edge from node VI to VJ, uh, that even if, 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 um, if I'm at the parent node, I will be able to drive a key at the child node. So this is just one link. But if there is um, a longer path in the hierarchy, and if there is a path from node VI to VJ, I still uh, I will be able to have access to that node VJ. So you've got to go through, follow this path to get access to the node that I need to access. And so that we say, and we say that a key allocation implements a particular access graph J or G if it assigns keys to both users and objects in such a way that. Uh, a user can access object if and only if that user has a key, um, decryption key for that object. And so now, um, now I would like to talk about the scheme itself. Here it consists of several parts, one of, one of which is key generation. Uh, and to generate the key, we need two major pieces. Uh, the one piece is private information that is going to be stored uh, on the user side. And another uh, piece is public information that is going to be publicly stored at the server. Um, and private, private user key, secret key, uh, will be chosen at random for each class. And as you can see here, suppose I belong to a node VI. Uh, then for that particular node, we at random 
pick a key and call it ki and it's just a random string of a certain length uh, in, in this case it's going to be raw which is a security parameter and so if i'm entitled to access to a certain class that i'll get a secret key for that particular class and if i'm if i'm entitled to get access to more than one class um, separate class that i'll get a key for each of the classes to which I belong. And this is not, I mean, the, here we're not talking about descending classes. Here we're talking about completely, you know, different access classes in the hierarchy. For example, I can subscribe to sports, uh, to sport package, and I can subscribe to movies. And uh, as, as my sport in my sport package will contain a basketball and football, and I get access to all of those. And at the same time, I'll get a key to access all movies. And public information is associated with this graph um, consists of public labels for each node. And um, a label for a node VI is, will be called LI. So it's just also a string that uniquely um, identifies a, um, a node, just some label associated with this. And another piece of information publicly stored on the server um, is uh, one one a string for each edge. I mean, this is kind of you know hard to visualize this or uh, understand just looking at the at this expression. But actually, what you need to understand from this is that for for each edge, we store some piece of information that depends on both uh, depends on the parent and the child uh, keys for that edge. And so using that information, everyone who belongs to the parent node will be able to derive the key for the child node. And as you can see here, h um, is a hash function. And it, uh, this is in this information, the public label stored um, at the server is a function of both keys of the parent and child and the child's label. So now, um, um, we need to see how we derive keys at different levels. So for instance here, uh, suppose that VI is a parent or VJ. And so using public information, uh, we, can, we can derive the parents, uh, that, I'm sorry, the child's key. Um, and this, is, this expression is not um, very difficult. So as you can see, all you need to do, you just, you take your own key, produce a hash uh, and take your own key and a label of your parent, produce a hash and use public information to derive the key of the child. And so this is just one link to go from a parent to a child. But if you wanna uh, traverse the graph using several hops, you just repeat this procedure with the key that you just derived. So you'll jump from one node to another until you reach the point uh, where uh, your object is, where you want to access it. So it's kind of recursive procedure. Um, and uh, security properties of this scheme are allow you, it's the first one that it's sound, which means that if I'm entitled to see something, I'll definitely will be able to get access to that. And the second one is completeness, meaning that if I'm not entitled to see something, I won't be able to do that. Uh, and even, um, um, it's probably secure even when someone can adaptively crop different nodes, different users. And, um, and so 
that we still show that it's impossible for them to get any additional information using any number of keys, any number of um, any combination of them. So this is some example, a simple example how it works. And this is uh, this graph is a little bit more complicated than a tree because you see there is um, edges coming uh, to the same node. Um, and here, if for example, say I'm at node three, and that I'll be able to derive a key for a node uh, four using using public information. And if I'm a node one, I'll be able to get access to everything in the hierarchy. And on this graph, it, I mean, it's not clear, but all keys, K1 through K4, are private, but everything everything else is public. So you'll be able to use that information, the labels and the information about the edges to um, derive keys of other nodes. So now I'd like to switch to the dynamic version of this scheme. Um, and as I already mentioned before, that you know throughout their operation, uh, hierarchies are going to evolve. So there, there can be a number of changes that happen to them. In, for, for instance, addition or deletion of classes when we want to restructure the hierarchy, uh, or we want to add new relationship between classes, add new edges, or remove um, some other edges, or if we simply just want to key a certain class because we, we know that the, the secret key for that particular class was leaked. Um, the, the previous scheme um, is not going to support this very well, but w if we just introduce small changes to the basic scheme, uh, then um, we'll, we'll be able to support all of the required changes. And here, uh, the, the, the only change that we need to introduce is to the private key. And this is, also, this is pretty small change. It doesn't make it much more complicated. So as before, for each node, we pick just one secret key. But this time, um, and, it's, and it's picked at random, but this time, um, instead of calling this k, we'll call it k hat. And as before, uh, this is going to be the secret key for each user. And if you want to have access to a certain node, you get that key hat that belongs to that particular uh, node. But now, actually, the key, the encryption key used in the hierarchy is different. It is derived from the secret key and from the label. So this is one uh, additional step that we insert in between uh, using one-way hash functions. Uh, and we'll see how this will help us to you know, make sure that all dynamic changes are locally contained in the graph. And the rest of the scheme remains unchanged. Um, and next, I would like to uh, show how um, changes are introduced in the graph. Um, an insertion of an edge is easy. So it, all everything you need to do is basically create a public label for that edge, and we're done. This will allow us to go to direct, to go from one node to the um, to follow that edge, basically derive necessary keys. But deletion of an edge is trickier. Uh, and first of all, we can just take that that edge out. It's not a big deal. But the problem is, if someone stored that vertical information, 
um, they still will be able to have access to the node even though right now they're not supposed to have access to it anymore. So we need to do something else and this is called X member problem when we want to make sure that people who used to have access to something don't have access to that anymore. And uh, this, uh, the, you know, the description of what actually needs to be done may be not, you know, very clear here, but the basic idea is that you, what you need to do, you take all children of the node affected and you change their labels. So this is public information only, secret keys are not affected. And using um, and you re regenerate, you know, all public information based uh, that is computed based on those new labels. And in this case, since the public information changed and the keys uh, uh, changed, and in this case, people who used to have access, and if they're not able to derive it right now, they won't have access. So the X member problem is solved. Um, the next thing that we need to look at is insertion of a node. And actually, um, insertion of a node or deletion of a node are easy given that we have uh, basic operations for insertion or deletion of an edge. And so to insert a node, you basically create a new node and insert necessary edges that touch that node. And to delete a node, you first remove all edges that touch it one at a time and then take the node out. Um, so it's also pretty straightforward. And then the one last operation that we want to be able to do is key replacement. Uh, as already said, if we know that the key was compromised, we want to, uh, to uh, replace the key and uh, rekey all users that belong to that particular class. Um, and so to be able to do this, what we do we create a new secret key. It's going to be a new random number. And then we compute the encryption key for that class, which is going to be hash function of the secret key and the label associated with that class. And you, since this key modified, we'll also update public information uh, about incoming and outgoing edges for that node because they're a function of the secret key. And so with this, we, uh, we actually locally contain those changes. We update only one node and edges, public information about the edges that touch it. And the difference here uh, with key replacement, we change the secret key. But with the deletions, we actually change the labels. The secret key remains the same, and so the users are not affected. Their, their key stored on, the, on, on their end is not affected. And this is actually the novel part that hasn't been done before. And I would like to spend a couple of minutes talking about um, other, other models, other access models. So in this, in this basic scheme, uh, which is you know, very natural, very straightforward, when you have access to everyone uh, below you in the hierarchy, there might be situations when you need actually to enforce policy that works the other way around. Uh, so that I, I'm able to access something higher, uh, higher up in the hierarchy. For example, I'm a student at Purdue, and I'm entitled to see all documents stored at the level of the department. And then for me to be able to go up, 
there should be some sort of mechanism like we need to reverse the mechanism that we use to be able to support this um, and so uh, this this kind of inheritance is called downward inheritance and to be able to do this with our scheme um, the the you know main thing that we need to do is to generate a reverse of the graph of the excess graph that originally have and so in the reverse graph, which we call GR, we reverse all edges. Basically, if there was, origin if there was a, a, an edge coming from a node A to node B in the original graph, we replace it with an edge going from node B to node A in the new graph. And then we run the same key assignment uh, scheme. Everything remains the same, but right now um, it works that way. And if you wanted to uh, support both, uh, then you'll have one key for the normal graph and another key for the reverse graph. And then you can have both um, um, both <coughs> policies in place and they're actually the set of objects. You might you might be able to, you know, access certain objects using one policy and different objects using different policy. Um, and a, and another variation of the basic model is limited depth inheritance, and as the name suggests, um, that you will be able to uh, get access to objects only, you know, above you up to a certain depth or below you up to a certain depth. There's a limitation you can how many levels uh, you can go. Um, and to be able, you know, to support this policy, uh, we also need to do a little bit more work. Um, for this graph. And so the first thing, uh, we assume that the access graph is layered. Uh, and um, many, many graphs are not, but it's not very difficult to modify one uh, by adding additional nodes to make sure that this, uh, this condition is true. And so what layered means that, you know, intuitively there are layers, right? And we modify or we partition all nodes in the hierarchy into disjoint sets. And for example, we say if for each edge in the hierarchy, if there is an edge going from node A to node B, and if node A belongs to a certain level, uh, then node B is going to be is going to belong to the next level. Um, and and then having this information, having those layers. We create, um, we create an access graph where there is just one node per layer. And then we kind of link them together. We create an edge. We create an edge going one way, and we create uh, edges going the other way. Um, and so in this case, if we have a key that, that goes, that can be derived one way and key that can be derived different way, you kind of, for, for each user, you give one starting point and another starting point, and everything in between can be derived for that user. But unfortunately, with this approach, the scheme is not, a big, is not collusion resilient. It means that if I have certain privileges, someone else has different privileges, we, we are able to combine those keys in such a way so that it's possible for us to get more information uh, that uh, each of us can get individually. And so um, this is, you know, kind of future work to, you know, to have a scheme that will work in inclusion resilient manner uh, for for this particular um, model for limited depth inheritance. But uh, if you consider, you know, all of these different access models, 
they will actually be very powerful and the policies that you can uh, uh, support will be rather rich and it's not you know it's not just going one way or the other way you can support a you know a very um, you know rich set of policies for access hierarchies um, and now I'm gonna uh, switch to a little bit more algorithmic part of this talk which talk uh, which deals with efficiency improvements and so as I said earlier in this hierarchy to be able to derive a key from one node to a different node you have to traverse every node on the path and in some cases that particular graph can be long and skinny so the depth of it can be can be pretty long and it doesn't happen in many applications for example on average if these are rules in our bad model then you have only usually have constant number of you know levels uh, constant depth in this graph how how deep you want to go but in certain in certain other applications such as manufacturing when you have a lot of you know different components that have to interact with one another and then this uh, this graph can become pretty large and pretty deep and so in this case in the worst case the work that someone needs to do to derive a key to a certain uh, object will be linear in the size of the graph and um, and for balance trees for example it's going to be logarithmic but um, in worst case scenario it will be linear and so to be able to avoid this uh, to to be able to make this key derivation time shorter uh, we use a technique so-called shortcut technique that we add additional edges that still preserve the structure of the graph, they still preserve all relationship, but they will allow um, people to uh, perform key derivation much faster because of those additional edges. And for now, let's assume that we're working with a tree of n nodes. And uh, we, have re we have two different results, actually. The first one is that if you add only a linear number of nodes, uh, linear in the number uh, linear number of edges uh, to the graph then key derivation time will, will be guaranteed uh, in log log n steps and this is double exponentially better than you know the linear time that we started with and if we um, in here you know number of the edges introduced is asymptotically the same as number of nodes so it's just a constant increase in space but if you allow just a little bit more space to be used for the graph and if we add n log log n edges that every node within this graph becomes reachable within three hops um, so it's not a very large increase but also but key derivation time is going to be much faster it's going to be three uh, hash functions which is very fast so these are some ideas um, how we do this and I'm not going to go into very details um, because it, it becomes I mean, somewhat complicated but I just want to give you an idea of uh, what techniques we use and the first definition um, that I'd like to, I mean, to, uh, to remind uh, is that we're working with trees that there's a notion of centroid and a centroid is a node um, which if you remove that node from the tree it it, re, it um, leaves no connected components 
of, of the tree that are larger than half of the half of the original tree. So we kind of take one node and all parts that remain will be um, you know twice as small as the original tree. And so the basic idea here is that we pick a particular node in the graph and we're just gonna look at subtree uh, rooted at that node. And so the first thing that we do, we compute a centroid. So, the, so we know that partition it, partitions it into, yeah, um, that actually partitions it into pieces that are at least you know, half of the size. And then we take that node from that subtree and start the procedure again on the remaining. So we kind of make it smaller and smaller every time and, until it becomes empty. And this is um, just recursive procedure for a node, but it's used as a building block in the uh, larger algorithm that I have. And so if you execute this basic procedure for every node in the graph, um, the, the number of edges that we add is n log n and additional edges um, uh, or any distance between any two nodes will be guaranteed logarithmic time. And so this is not the results that I, you know, promised earlier, but this is just, you know, the first step towards the goal. And other techniques that are used um, in this efficiency improvements are so-called centroid decomposition. And the way uh, centroid decomposition works is that you take original tree and you compute a centroid and take it out. So you have remaining parts that are much smaller than the original tree. And then you recursively repeat this procedure, compute centroids of the smaller trees and remove them until um, the size of every tree remains one uh, and until we actually partition everything completely into separate nodes. And then you basically, you're, you record the sequence of those centroids uh, that were used in that centroid decomposition. So this is not new in its, you know, very, you know, standard um, in, um, in people who work in algorithms area. But what we use here is not regular centroid decomposition, but so-called prematurely terminated. That, um, and so the, the idea is still the same, that you compute a centroid, remove it, then compute centroids of the remaining parts and remove it. But then we stop not when it's become of size one, but we stop much earlier. So we stop you know, prematurely when the, the, with, with the small trees of a certain size. In our case, it's gonna be logarithmic in the size of the original tree. And so the basic idea here at a high level, so those centroids that we have so far, so far they're gonna be special nodes. And they're all uh, together, they're all very well connected. So they're all connected with each other. And the, the other small parts that are remaining, we use our basic procedure on them and they're sort of connected. Those, those special nodes are served as a beltway between those little small trees. And so if you wanna go from one part in the graph to a different part, you've, uh, you, you use those uh, special nodes as a beltway. You first find a centroid of your small tree and then from, from your uh, special node, go to a special node of the target tree and find your way to the target node. 
so they kind of provide a fast connection to the part of the tree that you're interested in. And uh, this technique, um, using these techniques, allow us to both um, have a better um, key derivation time and reduce the number of edges that we add to the graph. Um, yeah. And it, it is, as I said, you know, this is not going to be necessary for every particular graph. But in cases when you want to make sure that the key derivation time is fast, you apply these techniques. Um, and this is all I wanted to say about um, efficiency improvements. And now just I'll talk for two minutes you know, about extensions that we have to this work. Um, and um, as I said before, we have a security proof of the main scheme, but uh, it's not the strongest security model possible. And it, yes, I said it works again against an um, active adversary who can corrupt as many nodes in the you know, graph as necessary, but that adversary will be able to distinguish a key um, from a random number. For example, if I, if, I, if I see my parents' key, then if I combine that with the public information that is available out there, that I'll be able to tell whether it's real key or not, and this is not uh, desirable uh, in many cases. And so instead, uh, we can achieve a security, uh, um, the, uh, well, we can, we can um, show that the scheme is secure under a key indistinguishability in dis if we just modified it slightly. And so the key idea here is instead of using the same key uh, in the public information in uh, in encryption, we separate them. We split this key into two different parts, and one is going to be uh, available in the on the uh, is a public information, and other will be used for encryption. I still get just one single key, but I'll be able to generate both um, both uh, encryption key and key used in the public information. But to other people, those two keys look completely random. They're not related in any in any way if they don't do, if they don't know the, where it came from. Uh, so this is uh, one extension. Another extension um, uh, deals with uh, efficiency improvements. And as I said earlier, uh, those uh, techniques that we uh, that we had work only for trees. They're not just for trees, but for uh, hierarchies of similar structure. Of the, the, the property that they need to have is that they can be recursively decomposed in smaller parts. Um, and there are some other um, graphs that have the same, um, uh, the same property, but not a lot of them. Um, and of course, we want, we want this to work for you know, general structure, for you know, general access graph. And it turns out that if we use the notion of the dimension of a graph and combine with this technique as a building block, uh, you actually will be able to achieve um, much faster key derivation time uh, compared to the original scheme. Uh, and this is all um, I had for, for the, uh, this topic and just want to conclude. I want to summarize uh, the properties of the scheme and uh, just briefly mention future directions. And so, um, as I said, we have a scheme for key assignment which has just one key per user class um, and then allows the user to derive uh, um, access to all objects um, below in the hierarchy using fast 
hash-based key derivation. And the schemas are resilient against collusions, as uh, provably secure. All updates to the hierarchy are local, are handled locally. They do not affect any other part uh, of the graph. And the key derivation is bound uh, by the depth uh, of the graph, but can be um, significantly improved if, if you use uh, efficiency improvements techniques. And one of the future directions um, that someone might consider is temporal constraints and um, or so-called time-based access control. And it's important in many cases, especially in our back models, when you have someone who is entitled to have access to certain things during their work uh, business hours, but uh, after a certain hour, they shouldn't have um, access to those things anymore, or people who work in shifts or even subscriptions. For example, like uh, if I have subscription to access something on weekends or evenings, though we, there are still um, the all are all of them are going to be based on the time of access. And um, the last thing is support for um, collusion resilience and limited depth uh, permission inheritance uh, that uh, we didn't achieve in the current scheme. Um, and this is all I wanted uh, to say today. And if you have any questions or any comments, I'll be happy to answer. Is the uh, the last point there? Mm -hmm. Does that handle a case where you have uh, you had one graph where the bottom node was connected to two higher nodes? Does, that does this handle that case where you have limited uh, permission inheritance and maybe you have two nodes on the path on one side and only one node? So the, the, the level is different if, okay. depending on which path you take. Yeah. So you, you first mean to be able to support this, you first may want to make sure that it's uh, layered. So if the number of you know nodes on one side is larger than the number of nodes on a different side, you just insert a fake node to make sure that the level stays the same. So if you're on the key assignments uh -huh. running downward and upward, then is every node going to have access to every other node, or um, only to their own parents, only to their own ancestors? No, it's going to be only to, to their own parents or ancestors. And as I said, you know, the set, the set of objects can be disjoint, right? So things that you can access going down may be different thing, from the things that someone can access going up. But it's still, yes, I will be able to have access only to my parent and their ancestors if I'm going up. If I'm going down, they're going to be just my um, descendants. Do you have a question? So this is like um, true directions, but like for the temporal constraints, do you think you can achieve something without re-encrypting every time? And also, how do you, I mean, I don't know how much you, you've been there, but like, do you think there's a way to prevent if someone archives the data to use that archive later? Um, I don't think you can avoid re-encrypting. I mean, with this model in place, uh, if you change the key, I mean, everything is already there. Everything is stored, encrypted, and then you'll have to encrypt everything with a new key. 
yeah, this is, I mean, with this particular, mo uh, with this particular model, you probably don't want to have really fine granularity because you have to, you know, encrypt your database, everything. And, uh, and this particular work is concerned just with having, you know, proper access. So if someone stores, um, you know, if someone stores the content of a file, uh, we can't do anything about it. And it's, it's the case in many other models. But the, you know, the key thing here is that it's, uh, you know, much more easier to store just the key than to store a huge file or a movie.